Blog Talk Radio. And hello, folks. Once again, we are going into the breach on a Friday night. It is 7 o'clock Central Standard Time. Uh, once again, this is On My Mind with CR and Adrian. Um, Adrian, you have been absent the last couple of uh, episodes. Uh, everything going all right? No, no, everything's going good. I just needed some time off and things came up and we worked around it. So everything's going good. Yeah, about neurodiversity uh, or neurodivergence. Um, And then next, we're actually not going to have a show next Friday. Uh, It's going to be next Thursday. And that's going to be with um, Father Lampert, uh, who is a Catholic uh, exorcist. Um, Mom was kind of spurred on that I got Darkness Dave on and uh, wanted to one-up me, and boy, did you ever one-up me on this one. Uh, It's going to be really interesting talking to him, uh, hearing his stories, hearing about his training in Rome, and and seeing what he's he's doing to further um, further his training and keep going on that. And then the week after that will be July, Friday 7th, my friend and uh, high school classmate, Michelle Lancel, is going to come on and talk about, um, the. it's titled Demon in My Apartment. Uh, I guess she lived in a place that um, had a ne'er-do-well uh, attached to the apartment, and she's going to talk about uh, living in the apartment and how she was able to get rid of said ne'er-do-well uh, in that apartment. Um, so those are the next two. Um, so like I said, this coming Thursday will be 7 o'clock. And then that uh, Friday the 7th will actually be at 6 o'clock. Um, but we'll let everybody know, and I think we've got those. Um, I'll, I'll have to do a couple of teasers for the demon in my apartment. But um, we've got, I put out some teasers for Father Lampert's episode this past week. So... And another way that folks can see us is um, if you join our Facebook um, our Facebook page, which is uh, Shortwave Media Presents on My Mind Podcast with Adrian and CR, or CR and Adrian. And then if you go to YouTube, um, it's On My Mind Podcast with CR. Uh, and you'll find us there. So you'll find all of our previous shows and all of our teasers. Uh, and if you follow us, you'll get those teasers coming up on your Facebook feed. Well, I think what we're going to do, um, and I was talking to Adrian about this earlier, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to hop on the co-host bandwagon and uh, let Adrian take the, the reins on this. What do you feel about that, Adrian? Well, I, I feel really good about that. Okay. So, 
Sure. All right. Well, further ado, here is Anna. Anna, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, everyone, this is Anna Wait. And the first thing that I put on this slide is amazing, Anna, because I work with Anna, and she is such a delight in just being at hearing person and making a positive difference in my life and in the lives of other people. She is our associate director of student life at Dakota County Technical College. Uh, she is, I want to say, most proudly, I can call her a friend. She's one of those people that I can call at 9, 10 o'clock at night if, if I were, if I felt I were in a crisis or, you know, as I told her, with my own neurodiversity, sometimes I just, I can't figure something out and I, I just talk to her. So, Anna. Thank you so much. Adrian, thanks for those kind words. Thanks for having me today, uh, Adrian. It's a pleasure to be here um, with you all, and especially in terms of neurodiversity in our team. Thanks for having me. No problem. And one of the things that um, amazed me about you, and I didn't even know this because I thought I was a little bit of an anomaly, but the average age that somebody gets diagnosed is 30. And so I was just wondering if you could tell us when you got diagnosed, what uh, the journey is, but maybe before we get into that, one of the things, Anna, that you remind me of is to talk about what the, the term neurodivergence So neurodivergence is like a large umbrella. Um, and Judy Singer, we really need to credit her, and uh, she was... I want to say an Australian psychiatrist, um, but out of a lot of writing and a lot of research on this is from other countries. And neurodivergence is a newer term, thank goodness, because um, when I was young, there were a lot of really uh, negative terms. Talk about that a little bit later. But as Singer says, people with neurodivergence. It's an assortment of people with a range of conditions like Asperger's, which is in the autism category, mm-hmm. autism, ADHD, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, dyslexia, praxia, and then she has this etc. So, CR, do you mind if I share what your neurodivergence is? No, go right ahead. Um, Optic dysplasia, and it's also closely related to optic nerve hypoplasia. But point in saying this is there are can't count them all. The neurodivergence, the different. It's really a different way that our brain works, and it could it can be seen sometimes on an MRI, like on Star's MRI. You can see it on my MRI. You can't my neurodivergence. Not. So it's not not manifested physically, uh, but in the CRs you can um, optic nerve is damaged and the different areas of the membrane are impacted. But uh, these differences, disorders, they're a gap, a more complex than And so what they're saying, you know, and the same thing that it's amazing, Anna and 
Nana and me is that there are a lot of people in that are probably walking around never felt really different but never lied and, and probably have but the thing is, that brain, that is not what we say neurotypical, it's divergent, it's different, our brains work differently, mm-hmm. uh, also has, they have many strengths. And employers are finding that out. Society is finding that out. We're finding out that people who, like the people who around it kind of carefully here because I don't want to make anybody mad. But um, the last job I was at, you know, and usually when a neurodivergent or a neuro, neurodiverse person is working, that that's the thing. They, they can conquer more. They can, you know, if they're in their, their niche, they can do really good things. But on the other side of that, there's a lot of struggles um, because of that. And... Um, <clears throat> A lot of problems that I had, not only do I have problems with um, SOD and endocrine issues, but I have fibromyalgia, and we've been working through that. Well, I worked for a company for two, two and a half years, and they just let me go this spring because they were the manager or supervisor didn't want to work with somebody with that disability. They were tired of um, excuses. They were tired of, you know, figuring out how they needed to work with it. And they really didn't work with my job coach all that close. So, I mean, there is that problem there. But like you were saying, the majority of the time, it's really, it really behooves a company to have someone who is now neurodiverse um, on their staff. And I think it's nice, and I appreciate you bringing that up because there is a lot of trauma both in the both somebody's history for growing up and having struggles academically, but also in the workplace. We are we are so far from where we need to be. And the other thing that brings up is that I am far from an expert, and none of us here that are talking tonight are experts for the share. And then hopefully this will help uh, listeners as well. So if you're listening um, and you have a question, go ahead and type it in and yep. we'll do our best to answer that. Either type it in or feel free to call. Uh, there's a ticker on the bottom of the screen with the studio number. Um, after you call the studio number, hit option number one, and I, I am actually standing by the switchboard now, and I will uh, air your call uh, as soon as it comes in or on the other side. I'm also monitoring our comments, so if your comments come in, I will do my best to get it aired and, and get your question answered tonight. Great. So as I mentioned, 
mention a lot of organizations in the UK. There's one um, in in Britain called Vanda that they talk about this huge makeup of neurodiversity, and they gave some of the examples mm. we talked about. In uh, this like sensory difficulty, sensory diagnosis, such temperature, speech, and language these are underneath some of those any different uh, um, burning uh, issues. And not not everybody has them. Not everybody, like, not every autistic is going to have necessarily in common with every difficulty. Not necessarily everyone the same one, the exact same thing. The other thing that really differs is severity or functioning. So you can have somebody who um, has uh, a lower severity of these challenges have a little better function level in the here. I think that's what hit you is that mm -hmm. you have an illusion that really impacts your job and your ability there. Right. Um, well, and that, and that that came off, you know, and if you're not, as a supervisor, if you're not aware of these things, it looks to you like you have an employee that doesn't want to work and they don't care. And that's the whole question of, you know, should folks go to their about tonight? That's a very complicated, mm -hmm. a, a complicated decision. Well, and I'm going to tell you on my side, I, usually I, I see it a benefit when I'm in an interview to disclose with employers because I haven't before and it just bit me on the rear end. So, you know, it's kind of a darned if you do, darned if you don't thing. Yeah, for sure. So, Anna, when, when did you find out about your neural diversity and what? is your neurodiversity, if you could talk about that. Sure. Um, so currently my diagnosis is autism spectrum disorder level one. Um, so what that means is that um, I have, uh, I require support, um, it's not as substantial, so um, a lot of people are familiar with like Asperger's, autism spectrum disorder, um, high functioning, low functioning, um, and those are actually all starting um, really are more outdated terms now. Um, with the DSM-5, um, Asperger's actually kind of that whole diagnosis went away, and now it's all autism spectrum disorder, and there's level one, level two, and level three. Um, so if it's diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder level one, requires support. Um, autism level two would be requiring substantial support, and level three would be very um, So now kind of support needs, high support needs, low support needs, kind of places that verbiage of higher level function. Um, my diagnosis is autism spectrum disorder level one of the DSM-5. I also have uh, generalized anxiety um, diagnosis as well. Um, but prior to that, kind of where this all started, um, for years I've struggled with anxiety, had that diagnosis, also had um, obsessive compulsive personality disorder diagnosis. Um, that's kind of where it started when I started um, kind of recognizing I'm having some challenges. I was thankful to have a supportive work environment with um, supervisor people around me. Um, Navigate before it's getting support in that area. Um, so I've you know, worked with therapists for a while, and um, kind of I've always suspected I have uh, dyslexia, so just 
let's get all under that term of, um, you know, and, um, and, you know, I talked to my doctor about that, and they're like, well, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm an adult. My insurance actually doesn't cover the testing for that. They had said, you know, you're having trouble at work, or you're like, fired, and it wasn't. Um, they're like, you know, if you're not, probably doesn't pay to get tested. You know, if you find yourself having really different challenges with that, right, then, right? Um, so for many, many years, well, probably 10 years, Strongly, um, never really had considered autism, even though um, our members have been So, uh, during COVID, it's kind of when it's resurfaced, and I noticed um, again, kind of expected that uh, during COVID, we're on computers more, relying a lot more on physical and I started finding kind of those challenges I have with dyslexia, really exasperating and getting worse errors in my writing, um, and I make errors in all twice, I'll forget words, I'll have common errors, and I don't really catch those, um, so something most people don't know about me is in order uh, to proofread, I actually really need to print documents and read the printed copy in order to catch my errors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was exploring dyslexia was my first um, During COVID, I started noticing uh, those symptoms being worse, so I started reading Really, I really want to look accepted for that. Mm-hmm. I really feel like my work performance is not where I would expect it to be. Um, even though I hadn't gotten that feedback, right? It's more a self-conscious thing. Um, I kind of revisited that with my, um, or I hadn't been there. started uh, adult school, not very good, and had yet. Like, what are some things I can try? What are some things I can try? As I started researching what to be more in depth, I learned uh, via Dr. Mitchell that dyslexia is co-occurring uh, with autism quite often. Um, that was kind of a light bulb moment for me. So I'm like, oh, that's something that's interesting. Um, I had you know, never suspected that at that point. Um, that's kind of when I started looking at autism a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of doing that and sort of realizing, wait, sounds like something. Um, so for the first time, I suspecting that I might uh, be autistic as well. Um, and that was uh, March of last year. Um, that's how it started my journey, and then um, uh, uh, there's some uh, colleagues that I have um, that had made comments or said some things I suspected they might have um, knowledge about uh, autism. Um, so found some opportunities uh, with interacting with those colleagues to share that I suspected uh, I might be autistic. Um, I was fortunate um, that they were very knowledgeable about the subject, had some resources for me. Um, really got me on the right track of um, finding someone uh, that that diagnostic process. Um, what a, a significant challenge is actually getting a diagnosis for many reasons, one of them being weightless. Um, so I initially did, you know, talk to my doctor about, I uh, want to get tested for this, where do I go? gotten on the waiting list, and they essentially said, yep, uh, the wait list is two to four years long. Uh, wow. wow. Yeah, quite a um, thanks to my colleague, um, I had recommended um, a, a place where they could be further than that. Um, and the other thing um, that I know we'll talk about more as well is autism women for this very differently. And a lot of um, folks are not necessarily trained to identify it in women or to pick up on those differences. Um, so for any women going through that process, it's work with someone who has recognized and diagnosed. Um, so I ended up, thanks to a colleague, um, got connected with that. Um, 
that diagnostic process. Um, I think from start to finish, I um, ended up uh, about six months um, when I did uh, the intake. Um, started with kind of a, a general meeting, lots of questionnaires, different things. Other signs should be do full testing. Um, so I was about 32 um, when all of that started, so actually a little older than average, just by a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was lots of questionnaires um, that went in and stuff. I um, also suspected um, ADHD sentence well. I ended up uh, going to the hospital with ADHD and autism. Ended up um, not being diagnosed with ADHD, that autism spectrum disorder, level one diagnosis. Um, and it, I don't know if you want me to say any more on that, or I know uh, talking about kind of feelings on that. Or kind of oh, yeah, definitely. And before, even before I have you do that, I want to kind of unpack just a couple things. Like the, um, a lot of people know what dyslexia is, but it 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 really is a difficulty with like with language, reading, writing, spelling, recognizing words, sequence. Um, and the other thing that uh, I wanted to mention was that everybody can have problems to some degree of some of these things, but it really gets into a diagnosis when you have a certain number of problems in a category to severity, right? And that's why we need the professionals kind of there to, to work it out. Now, the other thing about being an adult is that you've obviously adapted you have done a lot of, without being diagnosed, you had to make a lot of, you're an overcomer. You've had to overcome, you know. And so that's, that's the other thing I wanted to say. But yes, we do go into. Um, so, yeah, leading up to that diagnostic process, um, I kind of had my first meeting, intake meeting, where you do a lot of questionnaires and they kind of see, like, is it worth doing the full testing? Um, so, about a month difference, and uh, that month kind of leading up to the official testing, um, it was really scary, um, very anxious. Um, it was just thinking about, um, do I really want to know the answer to this? Um, I am autistic, but that's a label that never goes away. Like, Thank you. 
got me started really explaining um, that's how I met the different criteria, what you've seen, what you've seen. Um, and then at the same time, uh, she validated and explained why these strengths about me were really good things and benefits of these strengths and why these strengths uh, make me an amazing person for those three strengths and skills that I bring. Um, so I just remember leaving that day uh, validated or feeling a sense of I really never felt before because I never had someone articulate these things about me in a good way. And I always felt like, oh, this is a Right. So always, I feel like I was at the high and you sit in. Now, as we're saying, we are in this state. After that, it was just a huge time for me. So, the weight lifted off my chest. When you say high, how, how did you do that? Is that like putting on a mask? Handling, or what is that like for you? Sure, I know you've a lot of times, um, women especially, um, one of the reasons why they don't get diagnosed often is more likely to kind of observe things around us and be like, oh, this is something that everyone else might do else whether that's medication or clothes we're wearing mm-hmm. or how we interact with people or things like that. Um, so I definitely say in most social situations, I never really feel comfortable or at ease. I'm analyzing everything, what are people doing, what are people saying, and like, make sure I'm getting it, how can others are doing I'm really just feeling I have to copy what other people are doing or to fit in in sessions and um, scenarios. Mm-hmm. And that being camouflaged and stuff like that. Um, and that's one of the ways that a lot of people that are different is that learn that skill um, and are able to kind of mask or hide that or fit in on them and really be noticed um, where men aren't as likely to um, that well, I know, I know what you mean there. Um, I was. Hey, Chris, I can't hear you now. Hey, are you muted? Yeah, I was muted. But what I was saying is, <clears throat> I know what you mean there. Um, before my last job, I was a security officer for about four and a half years, and um, I was pretty much to my knowledge, the only one on duty at with those companies that, that had uh, neurodiversity. And that was, you know, I had to hide a lot of my tendencies um, and, and kind of put on that mask of, you know, um, I don't want it coming out, so I'm going to, I'm going to do what everybody else is doing uh, to kind of be a, a protection. That takes just, from my experience, you pay, you pay some prices for that, right? Like, they are. I mean, did it take a lot of energy or? It did, um, and it doesn't help that I was working second shift. So, I wasn't I wasn't going in. Well, when I worked up in Minnetonka, uh, I wasn't going in till probably one one thirty, and I was not get home till 11.30 midnight. So it that did take a lot of um, energy out of me. Uh, plus, that was a highly demanding job. Um, and it, it got 
scary sometimes. Um, not exactly the first posting I was at, but the second posting I was at, um, it got down to the point where it just wasn't safe anymore uh, for any of the officers at that posting. Um, when I quit, uh, when I quit there, I was where I ended up wearing a bulletproof vest every day into work. Granted, I was not a police officer; I was a security officer but I was wearing a bulletproof vest to work every day and and I just had to stand back and I was like, you know, and at that time I had had a detached retina uh, that was uh, due to my uh, SOD. Um, so I was actually half blind doing this job and I was just like, I, I can't do this anymore because it's not safe. Plus, if you hide it, and Anna, I don't know if this happens to you, but camouflaging it and hiding it for too long uh, kind of ended, kind of ended in a breakdown of my coping mechanism. Interesting you say that, Chris. Um, what I've learned to kind of this journey is I learned about something called lexithymia, which a lot of people have. And it involves like a more challenges with identifying your emotions that you're feeling and mm-hmm. with others. And as I was um, researching this, you know what I um, learned from the, the Sarah Hendricks and Lynn um, Oliver's uh, She talked about this as think about emotions on a scale of one to ten, and like one is like really really bad, you're doing terrible, and ten is like life's great, it's amazing. Um, it was a lot of times. Um, Highs and lows, 
like, you know, being a workaholic and then crashing because I can manage my energy and really what I'm identified as. I can't naturally manage my energy, my feelings. I have mm-hmm. to buy other that and I have a place. I on those, I can be more steady and not get to that point of, you know, you're, you're hiding it too much. And right. A lot of times as an introvert, that say no to a lot of social things. Um, really taking it and have very social job and rec- all day long, um, but at night, I only interact with weekends, interact with mm. kids, and I found that's really been a coping strategy for me, and, and an essential part, part of my life. I think that's huge, and, um, you know, Cloud and Townsend are two psychologists that have the book called Boundaries, and it took me many, many years to be able to get some boundaries. And I still have issues with that where I want to do so much, and I really would like to grow in this area, grow in that area. But if I get myself, because I am an introvert, if I get myself over-involved, I'm very unhappy. I mean, I don't know if this, this may sound really funny to some people who uh, are going everywhere with their firm fire, and work. but, like, if I have two meetings in a day, I feel <coughs> But in addition to that, working with my love all that, my passion. But in addition to that, if I have like a lot of meetings that week or several meetings in a day, I have to like work myself up mentally. It's like I don't know what it is, but it's the social aspect of it. But then I need time to come down. And so it's almost like, yeah. You know, you have the work up to the meeting, you have the meeting, and then you have to come down to the meeting. Mm-hmm. Like after, you know, and I thought I was such a freak about that. And so I started understanding a little bit more about, uh, uh, a little bit more about neurodivergence, a little bit more about introversion, and how you cope with those things, how you do the planning, how you think about it differently. And part of what I I hear you saying is giving yourself permission. It's like stop judging, like stop judging so harshly. Yes, to Adrian, a couple points on that. Um, yes, yeah, so it's actually something uh, self-compassion. Um, so you mentioned kind of meetings. Um, I can relate to that as well. Um, but more understand I don't have time and you need to process things. I'm kind of leading up to a meeting. If I'm going into a meeting, I don't know. What to Agenda. I don't know what the purpose is. Those types of meetings are extremely stressful for me. They don't know what to expect. They don't know what to prepare. Um, so it's super helpful for me if I know the purpose of the meeting, if there's an agenda, um, if there's stuff I need to be prepared to talk about. I like to know that in advance when I'm prepared. Um, and then, too, after the meeting, um, I probably what happened, say, I interpreted that right. Um, what I've um, noticed about myself now through more and more about your university is one on one. Um, much better than in a group, um, and I learned that I that is I'm only having to process uh, what one person is doing. Um, every time you add a person, that really complicates it. Um, I, I didn't realize I, I everyone didn't do this. So if I'm having a conversation, I'll be okay. um, My brain is thinking about a lot of things. That my processing the same. I'm processing the tone of what you're saying. I'm processing your body language. Mm-hmm. I'm 
my body language, what's my tone, what's my facial expression, what am I saying? Um, right, so I'm having to talk about this, and then we can respond, um, and then I say, and then my immediate reaction, and I know it's my immediate reaction, might not be appropriate, might not be how to phrase this in the right way, right? So I'm practicing about this. It's exhausting. Exhausting. Yeah, we went through 10 things, right, in the one-on-one conversation, and every person you ask that, it's like five more things than I have Hypervigilance. Oh, yeah, yeah, too, because I think um, sometimes uh, where I think of hypervigilance for myself is, yes, that, that is a hypervigilance. We have multiple things going on in this. But then I also think that some of my hypervigilance is from trauma. Trauma as in, in childhood trauma. Well, I don't think anybody likes it. I'm not saying anybody particular traumatized. Um, the poor grades, the struggles, the uh, trying to understand why you were different. Uh, never, you know, never being diagnosed, sometimes that's a good thing. A lot of times that's not a good thing, right? Um, and fortunately, I was able to find my, my niches, but I'd love to do because that was really, you know, books were, were my rest, even though I had a language disorder to being different one place was able to get me on some of that literature uh, really saved me because I have this encounter of a math problem that's really severe. And I can do math pretty well now up to a certain grade level, you know, like, uh, 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 but when it gets to college level, I struggle. And so, um, you know, in terms of coding, medical coding is what I teach really great with all of that estimating, you know, centimeters, all of that. Um, but um, struggling as a young child and what always put a mirror into me was a time, every time we did addition, subtraction, multiplication, grade school, there was like three minute time on I could never make it. And I got to be like a deer in the headlights. Like, so as it is most, uh, I just come um, sometimes have that difficulty. You're like totally not hard, you know. Right. Like you are hyper about this. What, what's going on? Who's doing what? You know? Well, so just, <clears throat> go ahead, Anna. Uh, Adrian, did you say that um, as I was going through my diagnostic process, being able to do all of these tests, um, oh, and some of that, uh, did some IQ testing and things like that, and. Um, Every test that involves time components, I had like have a certain time to do it. There was a direct correlation. I did those are the ones I did the worst on. That time mm-hmm. component and added a value that I did not. Really interesting that you mentioned that. Yeah, it was uh, interesting that you mentioned the dyscalculia, and um, you know I horrible with math. Um, to the point where I'm probably uh, a mid, maybe fourth, fifth grade level math. Um, but I remember when I was applying to DCTC in 2018, 2019, uh, part of the onboarding is you have to take um, 
a timed uh, test. So they go through and they do um, English and all these different um, sections, and then one of them was math. And with the um, not only with the with the dyscalculia, uh, but put on uh, change to that time frame. Uh, I did horrible in the math, and um, they wanted me to do a remedial uh, math course, which that went over like a lead balloon. Um, the both colleges that I have gone to, both Normandale and DCTC, I've had to, been to be in a remedial math class, and the Normandale math class was horrible because all he did was he never taught anything new. You had a workbook, and you did maybe a chapter or a couple of pages, and when you went into class, all he did was review the answers to those in a monotone voice, and there was no teaching or, well, you got this wrong, let's, let's step through it. Um, but there was all of that at DCTC. I, I forget her name, but the instructor I had was wonderful. It's just when I learn something, it's a, um, I have to see it multiple times. And then in order for me to do it, I have to be walked through and, you know, hold my hand, show me how to do it. And then each time that I do it, Pull, pull the training wheels off just a little bit until I start grasping it, until I can do it. But unfortunately, you know, in a college setting, in, in that type of class, they don't have the time that they maybe had in a grade school or a um, high school setting that they could have done. Yeah, and I think that is a good point, that um, recognizing what what the needs are, being able to identify them, but also then what are some outside the box options for people? Because I can't think of a worse thing if you're struggling to be put in a group full of people and not have that individual, you know, help. Um, one of the things we, uh, you mentioned, Anna, was you mentioned a reference when we were talking earlier, and I just want everybody to know that we'll be putting these slides up um, because there's a couple organizations you referenced there. One is Neurodiversity in Business. One is Autism Society of our Minnesota. And then we have several other resources um, that you have put together. Thank you for that list. I will put that up there. Because what I find is that we need each other. And a lot of the resources out there are people who have either suffered themselves or their family members. And um, a lot of the resources are inspirational. And um, I think that's important to give people hope as well. Well, hi, Sue from Walla Walla. I, see yep. I was just—I was just about to say that. It's, 
uh, my aunt Sue. She's she's been a big uh, proponent of the show. Um, aunt Sue has already has has always cared about her for Christopher. But uh, I wanna I wanna thank her for always tuning in every week and uh, no matter the subject, uh, supporting the show. Um, Anna, can you tell me what? What is different about women and girls? You mentioned that we don't always have um, some of the, um, is it symptomology, like in, in autism, that, or we have different symptomology? Sure. Um, I think the first thing to note is, um, as the diagnosis of autism um, was created, um, the people that were studied developed that criteria, all white men, white boys. Um, white Natural um, research, right? Mm-hmm. based on um, So, in terms of the kind of meeting that criteria, um, a lot of our people don't they're really trained to look for those common characteristics. Um, and with women, sometimes those might show up differently. They might be more normal, um, or they might be more important to talk about Um, likely due to stereotypes and 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have that experience with my age deficit hyperactivity disorder is that a rib believe it or not, a pretty quiet kid and struggled in asylum. Um, you know, I don't think anybody really paid attention because I had, like, as far as, like, authority figures and things were graceful, no problems with oppositional defiance. But, you know, my brother who had ADHD suffered heart rope severely and had dyscalculia, dyslexia, a lot of things that were never even appropriately diagnosed, suffered tremendously, but he did have more of the acting out behavior. So there was, there was I mean, what happens in, in, yeah, well, that's not a good thing. At the same time, it's those children may be more likely to get diagnosed or get diagnosed at a younger age. So how did you, uh, you you were mentioning, and I was thinking about this when you talked about, first of all, great for you, uh, Sierra Roosevelt would say, bully for you for sticking with six months of testing, right? Um, and that's, that's a lot. You had a lot of different feelings. But when you were given the diagnosis, what were your emotions at that time? That's one question. And another question is, who did you disclose that to first? Um, so I think my immediate kind of reaction, and I largely this to the, um, in the sense of exceptionally talented um, 